every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People, a post-mortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. My name's Paul, I'm your host, and I am typically joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia as we make our way through the critically acclaimed series Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spin-off series Angel. Uh, this week, the two-part episode Bargaining kicks off the oh-so-feel-good season six by asking, is this hell? A question some of us have been asking ourselves ever since. But... Um, Talking with me tonight, back at last from the distant past of season one, Elizabeth Rambo, Associate Professor of English at Campbell University, editor of Buffy Goes Dark, essay on the final essays on the final two seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and contributing author to television finales from Howdy Doody to Girls. Elizabeth, welcome back. Thank you, Paul. I'm glad to be back. It has been a minute. <laughs> Just, just a minute. Uh, you, you, we came out hot out of the gate. Uh, you were uh, my first back-to-back guest on multiple episodes of the podcast, uh, but that was like way back. I think that was the second and third episode of the podcast, and then what? have okay. Well, I hope it's not that long before I come back. Yeah, yeah. I have seen not hide nor hair of you since then. That's not true. We after that, I uh, hung out with you at Slayage, but that's right. Yeah. Um. All right. So is there anything new going on in the world aside from, well, do you want to tell us about television finales? Um, television finales took, I think, even longer than my reappearance on your podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it finally came out with uh, essays on just about every, the final episode of almost every television show that has ever happened. <laughs> Um, I get every good television show. Yeah, of course. I so I thought I, I had to make an embarrassing confession to you. I thought that I owned this for some reason. I thought that it had been out when we when Slayage happened, but that is not the case. Um, so I thought I'd picked it up while I was at Slayage, but um, I do not have it, and so I just ordered it. <laughs> I was hoping to maybe have it in time for us to discuss, but. Uh, it's getting here in the next couple of days, and I'm looking forward to reading. So your chapter is on the Buffy finale, correct? That's right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, and uh, y- you you were telling me that you thought that Stacey Abbott is de- did the Angel finale chapter, and when I was looking at it online, I didn't see Angel in there. Well, and I don't have the book with me right now, so I can't look to be sure, but if... I guess I feel like Stacy should have written Absolutely. Angel finale, 
But if she wrote something else, then somebody else got Angel. But I'm pretty sure Angel's in there. Well, fingers are crossed. I would I would love to read Stacy's thoughts on the Angel finale as well. But anyways, yeah. um, I don't know. At this point, I don't know what my plans are uh, in terms of this podcast for the Buffy finale. Um, I would love if I could figure out a reliable way of having multiple guests on uh-huh. Skype at the same time i'd love to have several of you guys back on the finale episode um to do sort of a round table but anytime i add like more than two people to skype it starts getting even wonkier than it already is so i don't know i need to i need to figure out a way of doing that well maybe by that time you will (laughs) yeah maybe (laughs) maybe um all right so uh, let's get down to it. Let me drop the spoiler warning here and then we'll get into it. Uh, if this is your first time tuning in, Conversations with Dead People is not a typical rewatch and review podcast. Uh, we're going to be exploring the plots, characters, and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole. What what does that mean? That means there's going to be a ton, a ton of spoilers, so I recommend if you haven't already watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series all the way through at least once, press pause on the podcast now and go do that. Uh, you can come back and find us whenever you're ready. And with that, I think my cat has decided to join the podcast. <laughs> I hear a distant <laughs> meow. Uh, with that business taken care of, Elizabeth, uh, if you're ready, let's go to work. Let's go to work. All right. So tonight we're talking about the first two episodes of season six, uh, which is really just one long episode. It's bargaining part one and bargaining part two. Um, but... Maybe before we get into the specifics of these episodes, since I've spent, uh, this is the, I think, 45th episode of this podcast, I've spent probably the past 44 episodes (laughs) building up the anticipation of, I didn't used to be a fan of season six. I don't know if I will be a fan of season six this time. (laughs) I've done an awful lot of foreshadowing (laughs) uh, to season six. Uh, so I don't know, maybe we could say, maybe we can just, uh, work into the episodes by saying a few words about this season as a whole. Okay. Um, Uh, you are a season six fan. Yes, I am. You, you are, dare I say you were a season six, uh, expert. Well, um, I sort of think I am, um, that, that was my first big, um, entry into uh, Buffy scholarship was I wrote this essay about how season six was actually not bad and, and made sense and, and people should appreciate it. Um, so I pulled the whole season together and said, look, it makes sense. And that was, I, that was my big essay. That's uh, my essay in Buffy Goes Dark, which I co-edited with a couple other people, um, James South and Lynn Edwards. And um, so, yes. And then, of course, everything else in that book is about, no, no, there there are essays in in that collection that question some things about season six. I'm not saying it's perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did think it was, there were a lot of people complaining about it at the time. (laughs) (laughs) So, um yeah i again it's unlikely that this is anybody who's been listening to this podcast has probably is probably not starting with this episode but just in case allow me to 
to uh, <laughs> summarize uh, my for yeah. my foreshadowing. Um, I at the time that I originally watched, but so I originally watched Buffy as it was airing, uh, yeah. and I've I've never done a full rewatch all the way through from beginning to end since then. But I have seen probably every episode just randomly uh, multiple times since then. Uh, so this podcast is my first front to back rewatch. Um, and, uh, there have been some surprises for me, things that I, I used to like that I don't like as much anymore. Uh, and things that I used to think were terrible that now I have a much better appreciation for. And so mm -hmm. I've been open to the possibility. I've been hopeful even of the possibility that season six will follow that same pattern. And, uh, I will be less critical, uh, for the record. I think a lot of the criticism, uh, that season six has received over the years, um, has been, May, not all of it, but maybe, but a lot of the criticism I think has been perhaps unfairly categorized as people didn't like it because it was dark. Um, yeah. I'm sure that there is an element of, of the fandom that didn't like it because it was dark, but that has never been my, my problem with it. <laughs> I love dark fiction. Um, so the fact that it is dark and depressing and, 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 uh, nobody ever has a good day <laughs> in season six was not necessarily my criticism with it. But um, anyways, we will be exploring what my criticism criticisms were and if they still hold up on this rewatch. So, okay. Um, I, I will, I'm trying to go in with as open a mind as I possibly can. Okay. Uh, and in that spirit, Let's talk about some bargaining part, parts one and part two. Um, I'm going to let you go first. Um, actually, I, I will take, I'm going to make the first comment because <laughs> I just want to, I just want to say that uh, when I, when I pressed play uh, today, I rewatched these today. When I pressed play, I was pleasantly surprised to see that the very first image in the very first previously on of the very first episode to air on the brand new network is Spike. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So that's a good omen. But mm -hmm. uh, anyways, so now I'll let, I'll, I'll let you get well, a word in edgewise. <laughs> uh, speaking of one, and one of the first images in the first scene is uh, Willow telling everybody what to do. Yeah. Speaking of spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we um, get, um, so in, uh, was it the gift? It was the gift. I think that was possibly the first time or certainly the first time, uh, it was, it was done. So effectively we saw Willow do the whole telepathic giving people marching orders <laughs> sort of thing. Right. So it's not, it, it's not unknown for her to have that ability but we, she starts out with that here. Right. And, I knew. Know, so she's in, she's in charge. Yeah. And then she really wants Buffy to come back, but then she kind of doesn't, there's a part of her that doesn't like being relegated to second place again. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, so we'll, we'll see that in the end of season six. Right. I mean, I mean, I will just, I will just tell you late in season six, Willow has one of my favorite lines speaking to oh. Buffy. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, yeah. 
Ember, I'm so sorry. My cat literally was just in here and she left the room just so she could meow at me from a distance. Um, anyways, so yeah, not only was Spike, here she is. Hey, calm down. Uh, not only was Spike like the first thing we saw in the, the previously on, but when the show actually starts, the sort of cold open, he's the first thing we see. Well, we see a vampire running and then he's the, yeah. chasing him. Um, but I love that opening sequence. I love the way it establishes uh, that uh, the world more or less goes on uh, mm -hmm. post Buffy. <laughs> um, and we get to see everybody more or less playing their parts in the continuing yeah. fight. Um, and uh, the whole spike saving Giles thing. Yeah. One of, yeah. I think just one of just the coolest, like, vamp dusting moves that the show's had in a long time that's great that also is one of the great lines like oh poor watcher did your life pass before your eyes cup of tea cup of tea almost got shagged yes yeah um i mean as i've been foreshadowing my uh, discomfort with season six as a whole hopefully i don't think i have failed to foreshadow my overpowering love for spike and now that we're into spike into i almost said spike six now that we're into season six um <laughs> i'm just going to give an awful lot of attention a lot of my praise and the things that i criticize are probably going to focus on spike so i apologize listeners <laughs> hopefully my guests will be able to talk about different characters but i'm here to talk about spike <laughs> he'll get a lot of attention for sure yeah um so uh i've said many times that i don't always remember what my feeling was watching the show um, the first time around. Um, I have an overarching sort of idea of what my impression was, but I don't remember the specifics. Do you remember specifically what it was like for you uh, watching this episode when it first aired? Um, well, I do remember that there was huge anticipation. I mean, they changed the network. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was like all kinds of possibilities maybe were opening up. Um, so huge anticipation. Nobody knew for sure how they were going to bring Buffy back. We just knew, yes, they're going to bring Buffy back. Uh, and just watching it this time, I just thought it was really a shock to see the Buffy bot for the first time because you don't know for sure who it is at first. Right in that first scene where suddenly there's Buffy uh, fighting the vampires. Um, but it's the Buffy bot. Yeah. Um, so that's a real shock at first. And then you realize, it, oh, it's the bot. Um, so in my last episode, uh, Michael Holland and I were talking about the gift, the season five finale. And uh, he, neither one of us could remember. We had uh, conflicting memories on whether or not, at the time that the gift aired at the time season five ended and the show left the WB. Um, if it was known at that point that it was going to be picked up for another season uh, on UPN. And I thought that I had known and Michael re didn't remember that. He thought that we didn't know at the time that this aired, it has since been confirmed for me uh, by someone yeah. on the, on the message board on Facebook that uh, it had in fact been announced uh, quite a while actually before season five ended, that it was still going to be around afterwards. Right. So that, that did make a difference. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess there were, there were 
some people though who would not be getting UPN because it was such a small network still. Yeah, that's the thing that I forgot is that um, the I, I don't remember that being an issue for me. I I must have had I must have had access to both networks, but um, I had forgotten that there were a lot of markets that only got one or the other. Right. So there was still a, a network of fans who would like they'd videotape it and then they'd send the videotapes to their friends in some other city who didn't get UPN. I mean, that kind of thing was still going on. Yeah. Just before you could get things off the internet. Yeah. Stuff. Uh, another significant thing, uh, another significant difference about the, this season, I think this changes by season seven because Angel does pop up in season seven, but at least for season six, there is a no crossover policy. So now Angel and Buffy are on different right. networks. And yeah. I'm pretty sure, I'm almost positive that uh, in season six, uh, they were not playing nice with each other. And so there were no crossovers. There were crossovers in the sense that characters on one show will mention that characters on the other show exist, uh, but there, aren't, there are no more direct crossovers like there have been previously. Um, which means, which means Angel, to the best of my recollection, never pops up in season six. He never appears. I think in this, in the, what's effectively the third episode, I think there's Buffy calls Angel and they, she even, I think goes to meet him, but it's all off screen. It's all, yeah, it's all off camera, which is really weird, but yeah. yeah. So it's, there's an awareness that he exists. And of course, if you have both networks, you can watch both shows. But yeah, there's. Uh, do you do you, do you remember? Because I don't remember if they continued to air on the same night or when it switched to UPN. Did they switch no, nights? They were on, uh, I think, successive nights. It was okay. like Tuesday and Wednesday or something like that. Okay. Monday and Tuesday, something. Um, but so they did have to make special, uh, some special negotiations. Um, in season seven to do those crossovers in season seven. Okay. So yeah, there were, I was almost positive that there were crossovers in season seven. I, I didn't, yeah. I didn't think that I knew angel popped back up. I know faith pops back up, but yeah. Anyways. Um, so let's see, where do we go after that great cold open? Um, Oh, no more Giles. I was right. Uh, another thing, Michael and I couldn't quite remember exactly how it played out. I, I knew that Giles got cut from the opening credits pretty quickly, but I didn't remember that it was the, from the first episode. So, at, well, I, I always forget that he leaves that early, but it's because he has to leave again. Right. Yeah. But that first departure is very poignant with the little parting gifts. And... It is. I cried. Yeah. I cried. Even knowing what happens, I still cried. Um, and the the little rubber mutant enemy finger guy yes. is adorable i i've always wished that they would uh that from that point on they would change the gur arg thing at the end to <laughs> te, to tara's voice <laughs> let her do the voice from then on yeah but anyways um yeah so from now i don't remember if it's from now on but i think at least for a while uh giles is no longer in the title credits he's relegated to special guest star and allison hannigan has stepped in to take over his his important mm -hmm. spot in the credits yeah yeah does does amber benson ever make it into the credits i can't remember yes she does okay yes okay but 
and then presumably right before <laughs> exactly that's exactly <laughs> of course of course um so that's one of the many reasons that people were outraged mm -hmm. yeah it's a spoiler show we yeah. i don't know why i'm being coy but i don't anyways. know either it's just we just can't bear to think of it can't we can't say it out loud um all right uh what other thoughts have you got going into this world um, let's see i i just love the buffy bot <laughs> sorry well i this is the buffy bot i think is one of the reasons that um sarah michelle geller is an underrated actress i mean she's the buffy bot is so different from buffy yeah <laughs> she's so cheerful yeah but i don't she creeps everybody out because everybody else every time they look at buffy bot they're there you can see them thinking it's not buffy but I, they want it to be buffy but I, it's not. I know the the writers at one point in season five they said i, I know there were ulterior motives to introducing the whole buffy bot in, entirely because they mm -hmm. they had some of this stuff planned already but um they have said that one reason they introduced the Buffy bot was to give Sarah Michelle Gellar an opportunity to do something not quite so dour in a really dour <laughs> and depressing season. Uh, little did we know how dark things were going to get in season six, but um, so, and for these two episodes, I don't know that I don't know the details of how these were shot, like what sequence this stuff was filmed in and, and how much crossover there was in her performance. But um, it is pretty impressive, even without the Buffy bot. Which I, which I adore the Buffy bot, but even yeah. without that, I think these episodes um, give a great example of Sarah Michelle Gellar's acting. Oh, yes, definitely. But particularly with the Buffy bot, since you've got these two extremes, the Buffy bot is so just cheerful and pleasant and goofy and funny. Yeah. And you've got possibly the darkest that we certainly to this point the darkest we have ever seen Buffy. Yes. Um, yeah. The scene with her in the coffin. I mean, we get, we get a scene of it at the very end of this episode and then a much more horrifying version of it in the next episode. But mm -hmm. um, that is still uh, very affecting. <laughs> yes, definitely. Oh gosh. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> first time i saw it i was just like oh gosh just a, i mean just the thought of that of someone waking up in a coffin and then just buffy just sells the heck out of it i mean sarah michelle <sighs> yeah and it's so i don't know if it's because of my anticipation of what season six is as a whole or, or if there's something actually to this, but as I was rewatching these, I, I was thinking, and when we get into part two, there's something specific that I'll call out as a, as a better example of this, but even just the, uh, the Buffy being resurrected inside her coffin, um, it felt like maybe there are different uh, standards and practices on UPN than there was on the WB. Some of the stuff in here felt a little more uh, gruesome and quote unquote mature audiences than I feel like the show had before. Yes. Okay. Um, there was talk about that on the bronze. Okay. The message board where Joss posted that thing about how they were going to bring Buffy back. Um, yeah. Uh, 
the writers were talking about that, how they thought they'd be able to do, have a little more freedom. Um, and so there's definitely some of that. I mean, the, Willow's spell. Mm-hmm. That's pretty. Yeah, that's that was pretty. Crazy. Yeah, you're talking about the deer, the, the deer and the snakes, the snake and the the her wrists yeah. being cut and all that. Yeah, yeah, all of that was. But also, that's so. I mean, talk about the foreshadowing here at the beginning for for what's coming in the end, which they do. I mean, they've done that before, but it's really uh, obvious when you know what's coming. I mean, Willow's willing to go as dark as she needs to go to get what she wants. Yeah. But she, she won't tell anybody else cause she knows they they'll disapprove. So, you know, what's the Vino del, del Madre? Oh, it's just some black market stuff. I was surprised Tara didn't, as she was saying that line, as Willow was being all coy about that, I was surprised that Tara didn't, give her a look because i would think tara would know what that is too yeah you would think but um so do you remember was there did people have problems with the is that one of the complaints the difference of tone i that is one of the differences and also i mean i think people were not um maybe they weren't too disturbed by the way Buffy is brought back. I mean, she had been dead for three months essentially, but I think they just expected her to bounce back faster. Although that's completely unrealistic. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, you know, in every previous season, Buffy has some, um, some sort of post-traumatic, issues after the end whatever the defeat of the big bad she's had she's accomplished at the end of the season but it usually you know she's usually over it within two episodes yeah um but but she's never died this way before (laughs) right she died for like two minutes yeah in the first season um and even that she was i mean that kind of stuck with her for a little while but um yeah not that long yeah but not for a full season and not uh, to the extent um yeah for the record i i don't expect that to be a problem for me i i personally uh i'm looking forward to the exploration of sort of her ptsd or whatever the the trauma that she goes through and i really again to single out sarah michelle geller's acting um we, we really get into it in part two, but uh, just the way that she looks believably shell-shocked mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, and her, her reaction inside the coffin. Yeah. Is chilling. Yes. I mean, um, so I am in no way, shape or form a prude about, uh, gore or violence or sexuality or any of that stuff. So the things that I, on this rewatch, the things that I found kind of shocking, like in any other context <laughs> with any other show, I probably wouldn't even bat an eye at, but I just, 
I noticed it in this and and it stood out and and those are things like the killing of the deer which by the way I was not previously aware but in my research I found out that apparently there were multiple versions of that scene that have been shown not only on different not only in the US and then in Europe but also I guess in the various rebroadcasts and really yeah I I guess there's I guess there was a longer version where after she kills the fawn which fortunately happens not in camera <laughs> but yeah um the version that i've always known i've always remembered and the and the version again i'm watching on hulu for this rewatch the version that hulu has um shows her kill it and then uh complete the incantation um and she just looks grim and determined i guess there's a longer version of that scene where she looks much more disturbed about what she just did like she she's fighting back tears maybe or she looks at her hands and is all horrified mm -hmm. um which humanizes her yeah. a little bit but i almost I think i almost think for the purposes of the story of this season it's better the version that that we got Hmm. I, I was watching on DVD and she seems to, she kills it, but she also seems to be struggling to kill it. Like, so she's you interesting. Know, like, this, this is a job, uh, but she is very determined. Interesting. Cause what, what I just watched earlier today, it's a very quick, like as soon as it comes over and like kind of gets in her lap, she grabs the knife and it's very quick. She just does it. And, uh, and she's just got a very determined look on her face. And then the next thing we know, she's got blood on her hands as she finishes the spell. It didn't, wow. it did not look very traumatizing to her. Um, mm. Which again, for the, for her story going forward in this season, I think that's probably the, the more, maybe the more appropriate version. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I can see that. But um, anyways, so there was that, which I thought was dark. Um, and then there's the just the imagery of the dead Buffy in her coffin and the way which the effect yeah. was, I thought, very good. It was very a very good effect. Um, right. But again, s slightly disturbing. It seemed a little more, I don't know, graphic than what I might have expected from a previous season with her. Yeah, I mean, all her desiccated clawing. corpse suddenly its eyes rolling open. And, yeah. Yeah. And the clawing of the. the yeah. Mummy yeah and and just and then of course when her hand breaks through the the grass and the dirt mm -hmm. which is very vampire but this is the image like we've seen vampires breaking out right in the so you know she it's like she almost doesn't know who she is she's the opposite of who she's been in a sense yeah um but that breaking out of the grave is something that she has to do at the end of the season as well that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, I was going to say metaphorically, but is it metaphorical? It's not. It's another fit. No, it's literal. It's, it's another yeah. literal. Okay, yeah. All right. Or at um, least at it, I guess you could call it. It's like a grave. Yeah. Uh, okay. What What else did we have here? Um, all right. Uh, let's go back to Spike. Um, I will say that this, this is the thing I'm going to, I'm going to try and feel out how much patience my, my audience. And right now you're my audience proxy, <laughs> Beth. Um, I'm, I'm trying to feel out how much patience my audience is going to have with me just continuing to talk about Spike and his treatment in this season. Um, so I'm going to start us off by saying that um, 
I love his character as I always love his characterization, but uh, particularly in in this episode, the way that he is, he seems to have been more or less incorporated into the group. Um, mm-hmm. And as I've said several times in previous episodes, I absolutely love the kind of bond that has gradually formed between him and Don. Yeah. Um, I, I am a little bit frustrated, not a little bit. I'm very frustrated, but just to sanitize it a bit, I'll say I'm a little bit frustrated <laughs> with the way the group, um, I don't I don't think it really happens in these two episodes, but I, I know that they're pretty cool with Spike. They're more or less cool with Spike now. They're certainly cool enough with Spike to let him, you know, babysit Don. Uh, and, yeah. and he fights alongside them, and Giles asks for his help when he's being choked by the vampire and all that. Um, but once Buffy actually is back and is kind of <laughs> incorporated back into the group, uh, they revert right back to treating him like crap. Well, yeah, I see that. Um, it's not as obvious in these two episodes, um, but already they're keeping him out of their plan to bring her back. Right, which I which I read actually as for for the same reasons they kept Giles out. <laughs> I, yeah, I read that but, actually as they knew that Spike would try to stop them. Exactly. So. They they trust him, but they don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That, I mean, he, in some ways, he's. I'm not saying I can't say that he misses Buffy more than anyone else. No. But, um. In that first scene when uh, Spike is taking care of Dawn because, um, what are they doing? Well, they were just sitting there on the sofa, and uh, he eventually. No, yeah, but why is I can't I I'm having trouble remembering what what the others are doing. Um, planning, I guess. Yeah. Um, and Spike refuses to let Dawn do anything else. Yeah, be alone. And she says, "Oh, you don't." She says, "You don't have to take care of me. I'm fine." And he says, "No," and he he really gets almost violent about it, but it seems clear. He says, "I'm not going to let anybody hurt you." Because he feels like he let people hurt Buffy. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I misheard the line, but yeah, the, the kind of violence you're talking about is he, she's, she keeps telling him, she tells him like three times, you know, you don't need to stay here. If you're bored, you can, you can go, I'll be Mm -hmm. okay. And the third or fourth time that she says it is when he slams, like he goes and gets cards because they're going to play. Yeah. He slams the cards. He slams them down on the table. Like enough. We're not having this conversation. And I, I may have misheard the line. I thought what he said there is was something to the effect of, I won't let, I won't let you get hurt again. Yeah. Um, and uh, I yeah. know, I know that the, in the larger context, this is because he knows that ultimately they slash he failed Buffy and Buffy died because of it. Um, but I also flashed back to the his just tortured look as he knew that Doc was about to throw him off the tower and he was not actually going to be able to save Don. Yeah, I think that both of those things are operating there. Yeah. yeah. Those regrets. Um, uh, I guess we should talk about the goodbye to Giles. Was that in, did that happen in this one? Yeah, that yes, was this one, yeah. That's in the first, right in the first episode there, which seems really early but yeah yeah so um i i know so does he 
come back twice in this season? I know, I know he makes a very dramatic return at the end of the season, but does he well, come? He, yeah, he comes back in episode three, or what's effectively episode three. Okay. When he finds out that Buffy's alive. Right, right. Which makes sense. I don't know why he would stay gone for so long otherwise. Right. So yeah, so he comes back and then he leaves again. Right. To come back even more dramatically at the end of the season. Exactly. Okay, but... Um, but yeah, the loss of Giles. I know this is a thing that the show teased in season five when he felt like maybe the Slayer didn't need him anymore. But and, mm-hmm. and even then it was sad. But seeing him actually go and watching the gang, like everybody gets to say their goodbyes. Uh, yeah, it's very it's very emotional. Right. I mean, this is that uh, the scene where he's training the the Buffy bot as if she were human talking about breathing and she and so forth and yeah I'm, says you know you this this is pointless exercise yeah and he feels he says himself he says well i really i did my job i got my slayer killed in the line of duty that was man that was rough that was uh, i was kind of holding it together until he started uh talking that way and he was like you know i it, this is this is a watcher's job and a watcher's job always ends with his slayer game Getting yeah. or whatever. It's like, oh man, that's brutal. Yeah, that I mean, he, he, it's not. He had brought that up several times before in the past seasons, but I somehow I think he had gotten to think he would wouldn't ever have to face it somehow. But yeah, I mean, they they've they've survived enough apocalypses <laughs> at this point that uh, they were all starting to feel a little bit immortal, I guess, and so right. Um, anything else in this episode before we throw part two in? Um, well, I think Anya does provide a little bit of lightness. She does. Her, <laughs> her desire to tell about the engagement. And would you like to calm down? Would you like to look at the money? <laughs> yes. Looking at money always calms me. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So she's always good for yeah. comic relief. Um, what else does she do? I thought there was something else in this episode that was particularly... oh, she wants to tell everybody about the engagement yeah yeah how do you feel about that about oh about that's, xander that's not wanting be... them to know well i think again in terms of foreshadowing i mean mm-hmm. on the one hand he's right it is inappropriate <laughs> on the other hand i think he's got cold feet yeah that's going to be a thing I, yeah, I don't remember how the how it pays off. I mean, I know how the engagement ultimately pays off, but the when I don't remember when they tell everybody. So I don't know how many episodes <laughs> ahead of us before that happens, and I don't remember what everyone's reaction to it is. But f- for me, for my part, it's difficult to imagine uh, the three or five months. I don't know. I don't remember how long it was supposed to be uh, since Buffy has died that they've been keeping that secret. So like if, if my best friend told me, Oh yeah, we got engaged, you know, <laughs> five months ago and we've just been looking for a right, the right opportunity to tell right. you, that would be really awkward. Yeah. It's just going to get more awkward. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's see. Um, Oh yeah. Speaking of comic relief, Anya gives one of my favorite lines in the episode. I was being patient, but it took too long. <laughs> And and uh, is this the episode that gives us the first use of great googly moogly? 
I can't tell you. It might be. <laughs> See, the thing is, I use that expression uh, way too much in real life. I say that all the time. Uh, so I have no memory of when it first popped up in the show. I assumed it's just always been there. And so when he said it in this episode, I was like, oh, my gosh, is this was this the first time we ever heard him say that? Is this where it comes from? But I just wow. say, I say great googly moogly all the time. Very, it's a good one now. very few people know what the heck I'm talking about. Um, I don't know, but if I find out, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, right. Let's, uh, let's throw part two officially into the mix. We've already talked about okay. it, but let's uh, add it to the group. And uh, so we can continue with the resurrection scene. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. we've, we've already talked about the fact that it goes from she just opens her eyes to now she has to uh, have the horrifying realization of where she is. And then she has to dig her way out. And I feel like that's a scene that's been done in genre shows before. But it was Sarah Michelle Gellar's performance was spectacular. It was genuinely, like, truly horrifying to watch her do it. Yeah. In fact, yeah. we've probably seen, I don't know this for sure, but we've probably seen vampires do it. I know we've seen the hand come out of the ground, but... I we have it... seen vampires break out of their graves before. We've ne I don't think we've ever seen them in their coffin. From the coffin? Okay, okay. We have seen Buffy as a vampire. Was she breaking out of her coffin, though? Oh, yeah. Was it a dream in, sequence? In Nightmares. In Nightmares, yeah. yeah. That's right. Season, season one, season two? Yeah, but I don't... I think you're right. I don't think we saw it from inside the coffin. Yeah. No. I don't know. Anyways, that context at the very least makes this particularly horrifying. And so, um, yeah, that was, that was gruesome. And then um, the first thing she sees is her own headstone and she starts yeah. to put it all together. Just yeah. the play of emotions that she can get across her face. Uh, the, the pain, the shock, the confusion, the horror, the anger, it's all, incredible yeah it's yeah that's such a shock and the sort of confusion of identity that keeps repeating through that second part like she's she's broken out of her grave like a vampire she sees her own headstone then seeing sort of herself in the buffy bot yeah i want to talk about that yeah um so as we'll find out, so she asks the question, is this hell? Which is is a great... <laughs> Although she doesn't... I I thought she asked that earlier, but she doesn't... It's the very end. say that until the very end. Yeah. But you can sort of see it on her face. Yeah, I, I actually also thought I remembered it being right after she breaks out of the coffin. I, yeah. I, I remembered it much more significant, but uh, it's not till the very end. But um, anyways, that we'll find out even more details as we go on in the season about why she may think that. But in this episode, yeah. at least you can, for the moment you can rationalize it as, I mean, there's the trauma of coming back from the dead. And as she's walking through uh, Sunnydale, everything is destroyed and there's fires everywhere. So exactly. it does kind of look like a hellscape. Yep. Um, but the, the let's talk about her witnessing the, death in air quotes of the Buffy bot. Um, so what she sees is the Buffy bot actually being literally torn to pieces, drawn and quartered. Yeah. Um, as a metaphor, I feel like 
that's pretty apt for what the real Buffy is going to kind of be going through for the rest of this season. Yep. Maybe possibly for the rest of the series. I don't know. That's debatable. Well, I actually have a quote on this because I happen to have my article. Um, oh, okay. This is actually a quote from somebody else. Um, who She calls it um, this image of the Buffy bot being torn apart is the visual metaphor for season six is deconstruction and destruction and violation of self. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. So it's, that's the whole season. It's like it tears apart the violation of self, not just for Buffy, but for other characters as well. But, but since the whole Buffy is the center of the, the show yeah I, I mean i was thinking of it that, that's absolutely true I, but i was thinking of it in the moment i was thinking that uh it's that buffy as buffy kind of comes back to herself more or less she is kind of pulled in multiple directions i mean technically buffy has yeah. always felt like she was being pulled in multiple directions um but specifically in this season because there's the there's so much push and pull between uh, what she tells her friends and what she tells Spike and how she treats the, her relationship with her friends and her relationship with Spike. And she, she, you know, wants to hang out with her friends and be the slayer again. And she doesn't, she wants an entirely different life and she wants to, she wants to live again and she just wants to die. I mean, it's her, her confused state um, being, sort of split down the middle for the entire season. Right. So this is, this is my idea about the way season six works is that it starts at this point where she is literally torn apart. Her whole idea of who she is and who she wants to be and everything, as you say, it's completely torn apart. Everything's at the most chaotic it can be. It's hellscape literally and metaphorically. And the rest of the season has to do with trying to pull that back together. It's not going to succeed immediately. She's going to repeat a lot of the same mm -hmm. uh, problems or a lot of the same mistakes over and over again. But bit by bit, she's going to bring it down to get back, not back to who she was before, but I... I think ultimately to a better place than she was before. By the end of the season or by the end of the series? By the end of the season, she still has a, at least she'll be back to where she can, you know, face life again. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she, has, she still has some things to get through in season seven, but it's, it's a whole new set of challenges. Remind me, are you a fan of the comics? Um, season eight. Not so much. Uh, people say that season 10 is pretty good. Okay. Uh, I haven't gotten that far because I was okay. season eight and nine. So. <laughs> I, I still struggle with whether or not I'm ever going to revisit that. Or yeah. or if I'm just considering the end of season seven to be the end of the show, which is kind of what I do. It's kind of where that, I am. That's pretty much where I am. I kind of liked season eight. Season nine, I thought was stupid. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I feel like the new, I do like the reboot comics the, the boom yeah boom i've only thing. read I, I have all of them i've only read the first few uh and then i i, I keep buying them 
haven't read them. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to binge them all maybe when the first, I don't know. I don't know if they're breaking it up in seasons for this reboot or not, but. Um, I don't know. I don't think so. No. So I don't know. Maybe I'll just start <laughs> once they reach a point that seems kind of like a good break. Maybe, maybe they maybe. release a, a, you know, what do they call it? A, a collection, a trade. A collection, yeah, a trade. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting Buffy and Angel, but uh, I've only read the first couple of Buffy. I haven't read any of the Angel yet. I haven't either. Um, on the one hand, I'm excited at the idea that it's basically a totally new thing that they've, I, I'm aware of some significant changes that they're making in the reboot comics yes. from the original. Um, and then on the other hand, I'm like, man, I just want it to be the show. I just want it to be the way it was. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to square that in my mind at some point when I go to read them, but it's the, the books are getting Come a lot. Of, the comics are getting a lot of praise. Come to Slayage. Come to Slayage. I may, I don't know if I'm going to make it to the next one, but we'll see. I would love to. Um, all right. Back to the show. Uh, what's with the numbered shirts? Well, this was big talk at the time because it was it seemed like there were so many numbered shirts they must mean somebody but something but the um the wardrobe uh costume person swore there was nothing no significance it's, it's not a lost thing so i saw the the ones i remember seeing and there may have been more a willow had 11 xander wore 13 and a, and at some point dawn shows up in a number seven shirt yeah so she she swears there's no significance. All right. I don't believe her. I think there's significance to everything. <laughs> I know. It's hard to hard to resist. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I've never tried to figure it out. So. Okay. I'm sure there's an essay out there that covers this. There probably is. Compare, but... Compares it to the numbers and lost. Um... Four, eight, 15, 16. Tw oh, man. I just lost the numbers. What were the lost numbers? Uh, I don't know. Four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-three, forty-two. I think maybe is what they were. Some that's, that's Nikki Nikki Stafford right now is listening and and pulling her hair out because I just got the numbers wrong. I'm sure. But anyways, uh, probably dire consequences now. I'm sure. Yeah, I I just unleashed something horrific by <laughs> by uh, getting those numbers wrong. Speaking of significance, so the the episodes are called bargaining. Yes. And obviously the episodes and actually this in in many respects the season as a whole as a whole deal with grief and bargaining is the I guess they're not really supposed to be numbered sequentially but typically it's the third stage of grief in the Elizabeth Kubler Ross uh, mm -hmm. chart so um I I I'm going to ask something super dumb because all all of my listeners know the answer to this, but do you think that was intentional? I would bet on it. Okay. Um, why do but there's also some literal bargaining that happens? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which in the, in the bargaining stage of grief, you, you go through, I guess the metaphorical version of the bargaining, uh, you promise to be a better person if God will just make this right or, or whatever. Um, but, uh, why, uh, why do you think the season starts with the third stage of grief instead of the, I mean, so technically you, you shouldn't, yeah, it, it's, it typically goes denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. 
Okay. Well, they, presumably they've been through denial right. and anger. Right. I, I was going to say, in the, in the months between, they must have gone through at least one of these stages. But still, for storytelling purposes, they could have technically picked any of these to, to start off with. Why was bargaining the first one? Well, I think it's because lit there is, as I say, a literal bargain. Um, Willow makes the bargain with Osiris. Right. So, whereas usually bargaining is kind of a sort of a mental game that one plays, or a, I mean, even if you, you know, even people who believe in prayer and things like that, you know, you that's not really how it works. Right. So, but Willow makes the deal with with the dark powers. Is it? <laughs> so uh, it she does make a bargain. Is, uh, is, okay, so I obviously, I don't remember any of the stuff that goes down with Willow later in the season. Is it, do they ever draw a direct line from this, from the bargain that she strikes up here at the top, at the beginning of season six? Or is it all, I mean, we've, we've noted on this podcast, the slow progression we've seen in Willow. Mm -hmm. um, knowing where everything's going, we can see signs of it earlier. But, like, at some point in season six, do they, does Osiris show up and actually try to cash in on the bargain that she strikes up here? No. Okay. But I think, um, I think what the consequences are that just that she's, it's similar to what she does in make doing the spell for angel's soul right yeah but that's what really starts her off as a really powerful witch like being willing to uh engage with darker powers or stronger powers mm -hmm. every step she takes in that direction yeah it makes her stronger but it also sort of makes her want to be stronger does that make sense yeah um, no absolutely it does and um, her, her arc in this season is that she realizes that she has power and she wants to use it and significantly she begins um not asking her friends permission like she begins which is almost which there's the edge of that here where she doesn't want to check with giles on this yeah no i was even gonna say um Xander in the last episode in bargaining part one, we talked about how Willow starts the episode off the very first time we see Willow in this new season, she's uh, being the, the commander in chief or whatever, and using her telepathy yeah. to, to direct people around. And Xander has a little moment. It's where he gives that great, great googly moogly line that I mm -hmm. think is so hilarious, but it's also in a humorous way, bringing up a very serious issue where he, he is kind of commenting on the fact that she's in his head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't remember if there's ever a time where she reads her friend's minds without their permission and learns things that she's not supposed to know. But that was, that's kind of the sort of specter that was raised there. The fact that she's, she's in your head and you may have known she was going to do this. I'm sure they had this plan when they went out looking yeah. for vampires, but still she's in your head. Right. Well, and yeah. And 
it's startling even though you've agreed with it. Yeah. That's what he's saying there. And when they talk about doing the spell, the others are really reluctant to do it. You know, yeah, and she says, and she said, it. she said, no one's quitting or no one's, no one's backing out, period, or something like that. Like yeah. she... And Xander says it's wrong, and Tara agrees that it's wrong, but she says, but we agreed to do it. That's why. So we're going to do it. Yeah, at first I thought that was a really stark, uh, <laughs> abrupt change that Tara had come to since uh, the whole. I don't remember the name of the episode. Is it forever? When the, when Dawn brings Joyce back. Yeah. Right. Tara was really, really adamant that that is mm -hmm. not a thing you do. Um, but I, if I remember correctly, even at that time, they mentioned the fact that she died of, na she died a natural death. And right. here they make a point of saying Buffy did not die a natural death. She died by magic causes or whatever. So I guess that's the way that's the wiggle room that they're giving us, but it still seemed a little bit, right. A little bit like Tara was very much against this at one point And now she's kind of given in. Right. And I think Willow finally convinces them by saying that um, because it was an unnatural death and because Willow's fear is that, Buffy's essence or spirit or something is in possibly in some kind of hell dimension where she's suffering that that's why she really wants to bring her back. That's, that is a master stroke. I want to say in terms of writing, in terms of as, as someone who is currently writing a work of fiction and, and uh, I've got, I'm, I'm doing a fiction podcast, a role-playing podcast, and I've got players who, if you've ever done any role-playing, if you if you're familiar with the concept that the game master can come up with all sorts of amazing <laughs> stories, and the players will do whatever the heck they want and completely destroy this carefully crafted story, so I'm struggling with that right now. Um, if I were to be drafting this story where you know my main character dies at the end of one season, comes back in the next season, and and how do how do I convince my other characters to cross that line mm -hmm. um oh because her her soul could be trapped in a hell dimension that seems like a reach that seems like you're rationalizing but then she says like angel and i'm like oh that is masterful <laughs> that you have yeah. just reminded us a significant plot point in an earlier season was our beloved angel his soul went to a hell dimension so of course this would happen to buffy too Mm -hmm. it's made total sense at the time yes um i i don't know i got i almost got chills when that happened i was like that is oh beautiful i know what's going on and even i'm like oh of course yeah it makes total sense yes you're absolutely right willow good thinking mm -hmm. um okay. all right well so i i took us back to episode one i'm afraid so I guess we should go back to episode two. Okay. Uh, so here's where we get the, the much more significant uh, tonal shift in my opinion. So the thing that happened in this episode, uh, I already talked about the, the corpsified Buffy <laughs> coming back yeah. and, and uh, that stuff. But in here, it's a line of dialogue. And uh, in my notes, I actually go, Jesus, really David Fury? <laughs> Cause David Fury is the writer on record for this episode. Yeah. Uh, and the quote is, and like I said before, 
I'm not normally squeamish about this, and in any other property, I probably wouldn't even have noticed how dark this line is, but for some reason, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, having a demon biker say, some of my boys got some anatomical incompatibilities that tend to tear up little girls. I was like, are you kidding me? Oh, yeah, that one, that notice, I noticed that as well. I thought, that seems a really, that that's a whole lot of sexual violence for that, Buffy. That is, man, that is a line that was crossed right there, I feel. Yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was rough. So yeah. do you remember uh, a reaction? Um, do you have a reaction to that line, or do you remember if yeah, that line? I, that's, no, I agree with you, that's. I'm I'm trying to hold that one off. It's like you can see my hands are going no. Um, um, I don't remember at the time. I think I might not have. You know, something in my mind might have just blocked that one out. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, I don't. It was going a bit too far. I don't think I remembered it because when it happened, I was like, "Oh my god, really? Did I just hear what I think I heard?" Um. um oh, man. Uh, it's also, I don't, it's, the line is so gross and repulsive and we've already in this episode, we've seen, um, the, the hellions is what they're called. The demon bikers, uh, mm -hmm. tearing through town. And while Spike and Dawn are, are hiding in Casa de Summers, uh, we see them break into the house across the street. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dawn's like, what are they doing? And and it looks like they're just tearing the town up or whatever. And Spike says, you know, they like, you know, destruction is fun or I don't remember what he says. The, the emphasis is on the fact that they're just running around smashing in car windshields and throwing trash cans through windows and uh, setting things on fire. But as that's happening, we hear a woman in the house across the street scream. Yeah, yeah, I did notice that. And I was thinking, well, that looks like a little more than just trashing things yeah and then and then in high i mean and then we get this line Fear, but who knows oh man uh, it's unclean i don't like it i don't like it yeah. <laughs> um anyways uh so i have something specific that i want to say about how this season kicks off when and how this season kicks off and and if it plays a role in some people's feelings of the season as a whole and uh, I kind of had this thought before, uh, and then I watched the episodes, and there's a there's a visual that happens at the end of this episode, so we should talk about that. And it it made me cringe because, well, anyways, so the episode ends with uh, a, a confused and and uh, distraught Buffy making her way back up to the top of Glory's tower. Yeah. Um, how do how do you feel about that scene um well that is i think a very important scene mm -hmm. because it's all part of buffy not knowing what's going on she she says um wait let me find this um I wrote this down somewhere. <laughs> um, she says this is where she felt uh, everything was clear. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah, here it is. Okay, you got the, the music, and there's a visual flashback to 
to Buffy at the end of season five when she threw herself into the, the rift mm-hmm. there. So that was the moment when she felt um, that she knew what, what she had to do and that everything was clear. She says to Dawn, um, it was so clear on this spot, but now. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. So it's like she's she doesn't understand what's happening. She sees the tower, and when she went up the tower last time, she knew what it was for, and she knew what she had to do. And also, like, she's been brought back from the afterlife, and it's like she says she's, she's about to throw herself off again. Yeah. Because that's what she had to do. Now, I was reminded of uh, one of her lines in the brilliant but still upcoming uh, Once More With Feeling, uh, where she sings uh, Going Through the Motions. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is kind of what she's doing here. She's she's sort of half on autopilot where she's she really is just sleepwalking through this first the first hours back on on Earth. And when she sees the tower, she does kind of she is just going through the motion. She's just repeating the last thing she remembers of her life. Yeah, not entirely not entirely sure she, why. That's the last thing she knew for sure that she had to do. Yeah. And that there was a reason for doing. Although she, before that, she does get have some moments of clarity, like protect my friends. Mm-hmm. But, but even that, even that was kind of could have been. I don't think she's completely out of it. I think she does have a certain amount of awareness going on. But I think maybe it comes and goes, and and yeah, because even when she gets, even when she starts fighting the the demons, it's it's kind of like, well, this is what i do this is just what i do (laughs) yeah it is a little bit still kind of autopilot yeah and like her last the last thing we see of her so you've got the 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 wonderful uh breakdown of as they as they come down off the tower and and dawn Mm -hmm. gets to seemingly comfort her now resurrected sister and then we get a look at buffy's face and there's no there's still not really any Oh, awareness! Yeah. Like she's very, she's very blank. Yeah, that's a terrible moment. I mean, you can see Dawn is just so joyful in a way. She's saying, "You're here, you're home." It's but that's Dawn feels like finally I've got you, and the contrast between the two faces. Mm-hmm. Dawn is like, "Oh, finally you're you're home," and then Buffy's face is just like what she's still just tragic like i don't still don't understand what's going on i still don't understand this so, yeah which this is a this is a good time to say in addition to um all of the other great performances all the actors are great um we've talked about sarah michelle geller being exemplary here um michelle trachtenberg i think does a great job when she first gets up on the tower and sees buffy yeah yeah she does a great job yeah mm-hmm. Um, all right. So the, the question I wanted to ask, and I honestly don't remember if I've ever, if I've ever had this thought before, um, I'm sure many people have, I'm sure this is all over the, the, the scholarship, but, um, so this is the first episode. The, these episodes both aired on October 2nd, 2001. Mm-hmm. This is the first 
episode of Buffy to air after 9-11. Yes. And it's not that long after 9-11. And so that was the thought that I had. And that was the question I wanted to get to and everything. And then when I rewatched, I noticed the end of this episode is Glory's tower crumbling down on itself. Mm -hmm. And as far as I know, this stuff was filmed before (laughs) 9-11, which means it's just an uncomfortable coincidence that the effects they used to crumble Glory's tower looked eerily like the, the trade center, the world trade center. Um, Mm -hmm. So what I want to ask and what I am stunned to think I've maybe have never asked myself before is we were obviously all of us living in a very different world at this point Mm -hmm. um, from any season of Buffy before. uh, And this season gets super dark. We were, we, we suddenly found ourselves living in a very dark world and then our favorite show comes back and it is super dark. Do you, how much of a role do you think that plays in some of the fans not connecting with this season the way that they wanted to? Um, well, I don't know. Um, I do have, uh, in the preface to Buffy goes dark, mm-hmm. we have a, a quote from Marty Noxon. Okay. Um, in which she talks about the impact of, um, nine 11 she says the writers had already planned a less fanciful sixth season. And this is what she says. I'll never forget the day, 9-11, going down to the set and telling people to leave, telling people to leave and driving through the streets. Of course, they're in California, right? Right. I mean, we'd been joking about the apocalypse for years, but suddenly it felt more real than a joke. We did know, for instance, that in season six, we wanted to explore that post-collegiate toxic taste of adulthood where you kind of try all the bad stuff to see if that's you. I mean, the darkness and the nastiness was definitely definitely a reflection of our own fatigue, and we didn't feel the need to be quite as fanciful. We'd done that. Um, And then... Uh, I go on to write, although some viewers found their escape in identifying with Buffy's attempts to regain her difficult balance in a hellish world after being torn away from heavenly peace, and others reveled in seeing Spike and Buffy tear various places apart with passion, vocal numbers were not pleased with the story as it unfolded. Okay. So that's that's my comment. Um, All but, right. So she says that they really had pl- they had planned to make it a darker season already. Yeah. But I think everybody was shocked. Yeah. Um, I do know though, um, and I don't think I put this in, um, that a lot of people, um. So some people wanted Buffy to be an escape. And then when Buffy was depressed, they were saying, oh, come on. Why isn't Buffy cheering me up? Right. So there was that. Well, some people found that that they want sort of kind of appreciated 
a show that mirrored the way they were feeling. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I, I see that. I, like I said, I don't, I don't remember what my post, I remember post nine 11 and I remember how I felt. I don't remember it in context of this show. So I, I had, I'd forgotten how close the two came to each other, but, um, I think it was just coincidence. Here's something else that happened though. A lot of people discovered the show for the first time. I mean, there were reruns on um, FX, uh -huh. um, like of earlier seasons. You could watch like two episodes at a time. Uh -huh. Some people discovered the show for the first time right after 9-11. Yeah. So those earlier seasons were a great antidote. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah, and at the top of the show, we talked about how this is uh, on a new network and and at the time, not everybody had access to both networks. So there, not only was there an audience that grew up on the show on the WB, and then when it switched to the UPN, maybe they didn't get UPN, and so they couldn't see season mm -hmm. six and seven. Uh, it also worked the other way. There were some people who, there were some markets that only got UPN and had not, and had not been able to see Buffy before. So I'm sure that there is, there's a, a section of the fandom that season six was their introduction to the series. Yeah, that's probably true. Which my mind rebels against, but <laughs> at any rate. A really strange yeah. experience. Yeah. Anyways, as I've said, I don't I I don't hold the darkness of the series against it. I I love that kind of stuff. I appreciate it. I watch I mean, one of my favorite shows on TV right now is actually called Dark. It's a brilliant and brutally depressing show um uh I, I don't even i don't even think that it's just the contrast between what came before and how different season six is mm -hmm. i've i've said in past episodes that a lot of my a lot of the difficulty i have with the series going forward from this point is more my more of the the conflict that i got into with fans at the time Mm -hmm. And less to do with the show itself, which is why one of the reasons why I'm hoping on this rewatch, I'll be able to connect with the show differently than I did before, while also still calling out the things that annoyed me, <laughs> uh, which of which there are some. Um, but these first two episodes, I was uh, I was a little bit surprised at how mm -hmm. how positive my response to them was. Hmm. Like I, I teared up, <laughs> I teared, yeah. I teared up in these episodes and this whole time I've been, I've spent 44 episodes telling myself, all right, just, just go with season six. You know, you know, it's going to be bad when you get there, but just do your best. <laughs> and I watched the first two episodes and I'm like, oh man, this is great. <laughs> so. All right. I don't well, know. Might be better than you think. I, I'm sure it's better than I remember, <laughs> but I, I. I want my audience to please just bear with me when we get to the stuff about the season that I'm going to complain about. Cause I will probably complain vociferously. That's your right. Uh, anyways. Um, you are, uh, you are not alone. There is a huge contingent of fans that love season six. Um, yeah. many of my guests on this podcast are proclaimed fans of season six and that's fair. So we can all get along. We're all fans of the show. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's why you need some people on that, you know, like the things that you don't like and vice versa. So. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like Don and Riley. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I don't, 
Yeah, it's fair. It's fair. Dawn is uh, difficult in season six, but I think she gets better in season seven. Yeah, my memory was that season five, like Dawn is never as good as she was again as she was in season five, Um, which maybe makes sense because she was created specifically for that story of season five. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's that's really her big issue in season six is that she doesn't know what she, what she's here for. I mean, she says it in these episodes. She says, I'm not exactly. the key anymore, or if I am, I don't open anything anymore. Yeah, so her big thing in, in season six is like, who am I and why am I here? Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, was there anything else that we need to cover? Um, I think that's most of it. So these... These two episodes are starting the season off. Everybody is in total chaos. And um, it's going to take them a while to figure out where they're going. Yeah. Yeah. Or there. If yeah. they ever do figure out where they're going. If they ever do. If they ever do. Um, yeah, I've uh, I've made no secret of the fact that the uh, next episode in the season, Afterlife, is... Um, in my memory at least has always been one of my favorite episodes for a very specific reason. We'll see if I still feel that way, uh, in the next discussion, but I'm anticipating afterlife being one of my favorite episodes. Um, I don't, I don't remember a lot of specifics about each episode of this season, the way I do for a lot of the previous seasons, but Mm -hmm. obviously as much as I say, I kind of wish the show had ended at season five. Obviously, <laughs> there is fantastic stuff coming up in this season. Um, yeah. Not not just Once More with Feeling. There's other great stuff in this season. No, um, there are quite a few good episodes. Yeah. Um, don't remember if you've signed up for any more of season six, but I... Well, go back and check. And, um, you know, if you if you need somebody to fill in, just... Let me know. I mean, technically, you should be here for all the episodes of season six since you're uh, <laughs> you were the season six uh, expert. But uh, absolutely, I will. We will find a way to get you back. Um, at at the very least, I think you need to come back for uh, the season six finale. If you don't have ten other people lined up, <laughs> I will. <laughs> okay. Or or even if I do, and I figure out a way to have multiple guests, we'll see. But we'll have you back. You'll be back for more season six. That'd be great. All right. Uh, so thank you so much for, for coming back, for being the epitome of patience. <laughs> well, you had to be a little patient too, but. Um... Well, uh, okay. thank Happy you. To do it. Yeah. Thanks for coming back. Uh, do you want to let the listeners know uh, how they can find you online if you want to be found? Yes. Uh, viewers can find me on Twitter at EL Rambo. E.L. Rambo. All right. Yeah. Um, and you will be you will be at the next Slay Edge, which is uh, next year. Yes. Right. If, and I will be at next Slay Edge unless something catastrophic happens. Right. I, in Montreal. Montreal. Yes. Which I, yeah, I really want to go. I'm hoping that that uh, my wife and I can figure out a way to make it happen because I have always wanted to go to Montreal. So. It would be great. Anyways, um, thank you again. And uh, thank you at home for listening. 
You can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com, um, or you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Uh, if you do that, please rate us or write us a review. That really helps us stand out from the crowd. Uh, if you've got questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to share your thoughts on anything we've discussed, please join the conversation. You can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com, follow us on Twitter at conswithdead, or reach out to us uh, on the Facebook, not the group, you, you can ask to be invited to the group and I will let, I will let you in, but we're also just on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash cons with dead. Um, next week, first time guest faith current joins me to discuss, uh, episode 603, the aforementioned afterlife and 604 flooded, which I have zero memory of. I have no idea how I'm going to feel about flooded. <laughs> so oh, I'd have to say I was wrong about one thing. Uh, flooded is the episode in which Giles returns. Okay. All right. So afterlife is giles free i don't know why that is not why i think it's my favorite episode i'm so sorry giles <laughs> anyways until then gur arg everybody gur arg when my time comes around let me gently in the cold darker no grave can hold my body down